0: Hi everyone, welcome back to Nutrition Lifestyles with Kim and Joanne. I'm Joanne. And I'm Kim. So today, we want to talk about something that I think impacts a lot of women, and especially women of color. So as dietitians, we focus a lot on food and nutrition, right? Right. Right. But physical activity is just as important. I mean, I remember when I was in high school, I was very physically active. I was on the track team. I played soccer. And one of my biggest concerns, I kid you not, was sweating out my perm.
1: (laughs) So for me, you know, thinking about it, I was always a tomboy trying to keep up Uh with my brothers. And we had a pool in our backyard growing up. So I used to be in the water all the time. Not really worried about sweating out my perm in that sense. Like when I was being active and when I was in a pool, I wasn't worried about it. But outside of it, when I was trying to get cute and stuff, (laughs) I did not want my perm to be sweated out or any of that.
0: Right. So I'm pretty sure for all the curly haired women out there, hair is very important. I mean, we can't just get up and go and put a few brush strokes through it and Mm -hmm. call it a day. So today we have a dietitian here with us, a PhD level dietitian
1: with us to talk about the importance of exercise. Yes, we do. So Dr. Lanika blackman Carr has been a registered dietitian for 10 years and is currently an assistant professor of community and public health nutrition at the University of Connecticut. She specializes in behavioral weight control interventions with an emphasis on weight loss through dietary and physical activity behavior changes. Much of Linika's research, or Dr. Carr's research, I should say, focuses on Black women to address disparities in obesity and the need for more effective weight loss interventions. With weight and lifestyle, they are frequently cited in the literature And they are cited to be major lifestyle concerns for women of color. What interventions would you say can be implemented for behavior or lifestyle modifications?
2: Yeah, that is such a huge question. And I feel like it's a big question in our field that we really haven't answered or found the perfect solution to yet. So, you know, let me point to a couple things that I think are promising directions for uh, black women and, you know, potentially even other uh, communities of color, um, you know, just to kind of set the stage, what we do or the standard behavioral approach to weight loss is certainly what people would expect, dietary, physical activity, change and focus, and you know, doing more of the good things in both of those areas. Uh, but what I've seen over the years, and what the field um, in terms of research really has shown is that the folks usually in those studies are um, what I like to call the worried well. Didn't invent that, it's definitely a phrase that's been out there. But typically they're midlife, uh, non-Hispanic, white, um, mostly women. To participate in those studies. And so uh, folks who are non-white are often very underrepresented, which leads right. us to where we are today. So in terms of what might be helpful or work or be recommended for women of color, uh, especially Black women, are things that I believe can really focus on the positives in our culture. Uh, for instance, uh, past examples that when we t- when we talk about culture really focuses on barriers, and that's important. But where I see the conversation going now in the future is well, what assets or what things already exist in someone's culture is, uh, that can really be used or implemented in an intervention to help them make those dietary changes that will ultimately lead to weight loss. And same in terms of physical activity. So one example in speaking with a colleague um, recently is, well, what about culturally appropriate uh, dietary recommendations. Right. You know, we come from really diverse backgrounds, uh, even within the Black race, whether you're, you know, from Africa, Very from the true. Caribbean, from, you know, one of the Spanish speaking islands in the Caribbean, um, we're really diverse as a race. And so the foods that are familiar um, can also be really healthful. Uh, and so we don't, unfortunately, see them well represented in interventions for weight control for women of color. And so that is one huge area that I think more work could be done in. Um, so having culturally appropriate diet and I'll say the same for physical activity, everybody's idea of how we move and become active is not always going to a gym. And for lots of reasons, for people of color, that is a barrier because gyms may not be present in your neighborhood, no matter what your income level is, uh, compared to a neighborhood that might be predominantly white. And so, uh, thinking about and including types of physical activity that are not uh, just normative to American culture uh, would be another way to really make intervention specific for Black women.
0: Wow, I actually love that. I'm actually sitting here, Lanika, and I'll be honest with you guys listening. I'm here taking notes because, you know, that has been something that has been on my mind for a while, making culturally appropriate dietary as well as physical activity decisions because there's been clients as well as patients of mine who may be the same skin color, but they may be from Africa or they may be from the islands or they may be from Europe. And, you know, when you recognize recommend certain things to them sometimes if you do not dig into their culture enough they may just look at you like a Darren headlights mm-hmm. so i love i love that fact that you say you know majority of the times the worried well white woman is the one that is represented in the literature and we are not culturally represented um, or diversely represented. So I know as dietitians, we speak a lot about nutrition because that is our expertise. I mean, we live, eat, breathe, sleep, food and yes. nutrition. But let's look at exercise. Why is exercise just as important?
2: I love that question because especially for dietitians, like you said, we're so food focused. It's what we do. We love it. Mm-hmm. Um, you, we love talking of food, about food as much as we love eating it. But when it comes to, I'll say weight control, whether that's having an interest in losing weight or even preventing, you know, someone from gaining more weight, physical activity becomes a really important behavior to practice. Also independent of any dietary changes you make, physical activity by itself, if you change nothing about your diet, still can give you health benefits, still can help you reduce your risk for heart disease. Um, But when we're talking about weight loss, when we combine making dietary changes, like reducing your calories and having a, a better quality diet, when we add in the recommended amount of physical activity for weight loss, those two things together will give you the maximum uh weight loss that you mm-hmm. could expect. Uh you know the majority of that weight loss does come from changing your diet. Uh but if you really want to see maximum results, you have to do both the dietary change and the physical activity change.
1: Mm. I totally agree with you, um Monica. So, you know with me in my practice, I've in the past, I've made sure that I do take into consideration a person's, um, financial capabilities and their cultural background when making recommendations, because I always find that their goals will be, they will be more successful at reaching whatever goals that they have. Um, if I take those into consideration. So you talked earlier about, um, barriers that people may have when it comes to physical exercise in regards to how someone wants to exercise differ or may differ from person to person. Can you go into a little bit more how race and gender barriers um, affect physical exercise?
2: Sure. Um, Race and gender certainly is relevant to what I do, you know, focusing on Black women. They're dealing, you know, certainly with the, the race aspect and the gender aspect in their everyday life. Um, and those two things really are co-occurring or happening at the same time in terms of the kind of barriers that they can present for physical activity. So perhaps my favorite barrier to talk about that I feel like really doesn't get as much shine, although it got a little bit of spotlight, I feel like around 2015, 16, 17, mm-hmm. is talking about hair. And Mm. One that I know exactly, (laughs) women of color, we know about this. Um, Your hair can be the reason why you do not get that workout in that day or maybe that week, Mm -hmm. depending on if you just got your natural hair pressed out straight and you need to look good for a few events um, or look good for the, the next corporate thing going on. Um, so that is just one barrier that I feel like really highlights how race and gender come together. And just to dig a little deeper on hair, cause it can sound really frivolous, but it really is not. When we talk about what hair really means, it's of course how we present ourselves to the world. But, uh, in a lot of the qualitative literature that I've seen talking about hair and why it's a barrier for physical activity, um, part of it is our professional world, depending on. Where you work and your type of environment, you have to present yourself in a certain way, especially if you want promotion or if you want to be sitting at the table of power. (laughs) You know, folks might not really be that accepting of your natural hair uh, because it's unusual. They've never seen it. They might have certain stereotypical uh, assumptions about your natural hair and what it means. Um, And so I know there are many professional Black women who do not feel comfortable wearing their natural hair unless it's straightened. Um, and so of course a midday workout or walk, uh, where you could sweat could ruin that. And then going Mm -hmm. back to the office is, you know, looking a type of way that you did not intend to, um, or want to present yourself is not so helpful. Um, so it can really be a barrier to thinking about work. Um, actually, I don't know if you guys have seen, uh, the Netflix, uh, I guess series on Madam CJ Walker, but that's actually a great example about how important it was to have your hair in Mm -hmm. a certain way in order to elevate in society. Um, And Mm -hmm. that, you know, her time was, was many, many decades ago, but there's still a lot of relevance to personal presentation and what that means, you know, professionally. So, uh, maintaining that hair means something, um, you know, for black women. So I said a lot about that. <laughs> um, but you know, some <laughs> other barriers, one other one I'll, I'll throw out there is stress. Um, and so thinking about stress, I don't know about you guys, but usually when I'm stressed, the, I'm not thinking about let me go for a 30 minute jog, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, it might lead you to maybe eating something that you wouldn't normally eat or eating more of that you know, higher calorie, higher sugar kind of food because no one craves carrots and hummus, you know, when they're stressing. And I think the same goes for physical activity. When we're stressed, we might be more sedentary Mm. uh, and just less engaged in physical activity. And depending Mm -hmm. on where that stress is coming from, because black women wear many different hats, uh, you know, we could be a church officer or leading the choir, be a mom, be a wife, you have your professional life that, of course, we want to excel in because that's personally important to us as well. Um, and that stress coming from having so many hats and doing so many things really doesn't leave time for self-care. Mm-hmm. And so it can often be the convergence of your expected role as a woman. And then, of course, depending on you know, within the Black community, what's the expected role of Black women within the family? And Mm -hmm. so a lot of those things are really just happening at the same time. So physical activity can really become uh, seen as a luxury, something that I don't have time for that. Uh, Where is that supposed to happen Mm -hmm. with all the other things that might be pulling on Black women, you know, in their daily lives?
1: That is so true. You know what I was thinking to myself when you were talking about the natural hair movement. I feel like since the natural hair movement, I've seen so much more, you know, black women. So much more of black women talking about mm, um, that's true, working out and exercising and whatnot on social media. And I think it's because most of them, like now, we don't have to worry about our hair anymore. Not worrying about, you know, sweating out our perm and stuff like that.
2: Yeah, I think that's so true. And I am definitely part of that clique. Um, (laughs) It is nice to have a hairdo that can last up to a sweaty workout. And I can still go to work and feel professional. But at the same time, I also work in academia. And there's a Mm. certain level of freedom um, or individuality that I think professors, depending on your department and stuff culture, that I feel like we can get away with. I'm not so sure, depending on where I was working, if I'd actually feel the same way in a different Mm -hmm. corporate environment.
0: Yeah, very, very interesting. You know, you mentioned something earlier about Madam CJ Walker and I'm on season episode two. I'm trying to get caught up. But on episode two, she mentioned something very vital, which I mean, it still resounds with me to this day. She was selling her product on the street corner and she stopped a young black girl. And she said to the girl, you know, come to my shop. I'm going to do your hair for free. And the reason why I'm going to do your hair for free is because when you're represented properly, we are all represented properly. Mm. And I was like, facts, straight facts. So my question is, how can we address these barriers? How can we tear down these walls instead of people thinking, oh, Black women, you know, their hair is frizzy, their hair is, quote unquote, nappy. How can we tear down those walls and address the barriers?
2: I loved that scene in Madam C.J. Walker episode two, because (laughs) it really it's so relevant and we would not think that something from so far back would still have so much relevance today but it is true yeah. when and i think that's part of you know black womanhood and our culture whenever you step out the door you are not just representing you you are mm-hmm. representing your family and your culture and as much as folks might not want to wear that hat or ascribe to that i think it is definitely uh you know alive and well And so, you know, how do we address hair barriers? First of all, I want to say, you know, the non-acceptance of Black women's hair has nothing to do with Mm
1: -hmm. us. So
2: to a certain extent, we cannot change the thoughts of other people. Um, (laughs) And and y'all know who I'm talking about. We can't (laughs) change how other people might perceive us. But what we can do, I think we've actually seen in the past, when we think about Black is Beautiful campaigns that happened around the time of you know, the Black Panthers, which unfortunately, a lot of times that group gets a lot of, um, flack because they were seen as militant, but they were actually, uh, a group that believed in nutrition and started full school, school food, nutrition programs and fed children. But they also were about empowerment, um, and seeing black people, seeing themselves as beautiful. So what we have to do, which we have done in the past, but certainly everything is cyclical in history is
1: mm-hmm.
2: empower ourselves and, be unique, which we continue to be, you know? And so we kind of have to set our own path. I think the way we change norms is by creating them. Hmm. So as we wear our natural hair in all its glory, you know, let it touch the sky. I think people will start to see, oh, this is what it actually looks like. This is what it is. So I think it's kind of a double-edged sword sometimes to feel like we have to give in to wearing our hair a certain way to get to a certain level in our professions, those pressures are real and they're there. Um, but at the same time, when we get to that point um, where we feel like, okay, I it's safe to be myself um, to go ahead and do that, yeah. you know? Um, but at the same time, be encouraging and accepting of that and s- share that message with those who are coming behind you, but demonstrate it, right? Action speaks so much louder than words. Uh, so I think that's one part of it. I think the other part relating specifically to physical activity is really figuring out our hair. I don't know about you guys, but as a natural, I feel like I'm still figuring out my hair because I was (laughs) relaxed for the majority of my life. Um, so we've also got to give ourselves some, uh, space to figure out our hair. Um, but importantly, really having community around that. Um, and so really having support, Round well how did you do your hair you know so that it would last through a workout or a few workouts um and building community around that and there have been some things in the past that were helpful there used to be a great group called sporty afros that showed uh led by a couple of black women and showed how they maintain their hair in all types of different sports including swimming uh okay. which i happen to be a lover of and so uh i think where there's a will, there's a way. And it's about really sharing our techniques with each other, um, but also encouraging each other to be physically active together. Um, you know, whether you're encouraging via Facebook for a friend who's far away or, or texting to help keep each other accountable, um, there's lots of ways to do it. But I think sharing and strengthening and, you know, complimenting each other when we see each other, because, you know, we have no shame talking to each other on the street and asking, you know, where <laughs> did we get such and such beauty product from? You're Hair looks great. Um, you know, really empower a sister when you see her.
1: Exactly, I agree. Right. So, as a PhD dietitian, earlier you you mentioned that um, you know the recommendations that are out there in the literature, you know the the participants that were in the studies did not reflect a person such as us. They were they didn't reflect the black community very well. So, as a PhD dietitian. Are you seeing, like, over the years, have you seen more studies being focused more on minority communities, such as the Black community? Um, are you seeing nutrition-related studies more focused on us? Because even myself, when I was getting my master's, you know, I was doing, um, my thesis and, on Haitian American, the Haitian American population, and I couldn't find, there was nothing. Available for me to use as a citation. I had to use the Mexican population and I had to use personal um, information as a reference.
2: Yeah, I think you're pointing out something that continues to be a challenge today. Honestly, um, you know, I, we have a lot of work to do in the weight control space, but also in the nutrition space uh, in terms of increasing diversity. I still see challenges you know when i go to big conferences and see people present great research with really interesting methods that made a change in in that group mm-hmm. but when you look at the demographics their sample was 95% white mm-hmm. and so what that does statistically is really limit the ability to say well this could work for the other diverse populations within the United States. This could be applicable. So unfortunately, I feel like we do have a ways to go in terms of uh, researchers really making the effort to have a more inclusive, more diverse uh, sample so that we can say this works not just for one group, but it does work for others as well, or it worked a little differently, um, but still brought benefit to other groups. Um, And so, We have a ways to go. I will say, you know, your experience of having to draw from what existed, but groups that were not who you were really intending to serve, um, it's still just like that where I'd certainly hope to take my work because my background certainly, I'm a first generation American too. Uh, my parents are from Jamaica and Barbados. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you know it. <laughs> and so I'm also, I face the same things. I still look for, you know, has anybody done this in, you know, a Caribbean population, Jamaican, what's going on here? Uh, mm-hmm. But often I see that uh, when, Black people are discussed or included in studies. We're not always asking about where they're from. And we know that that can differ depending on where your ancestry is from. That's mm-hmm. going to color what you eat and what you deem as acceptable um, in foods and physical activities. And so that. I'll call it really ethnic diversity because race is is black race and and our ethnicities, our nationalities give us greater diversity within the black race. Uh, Mm -hmm. We need to see some more work there. So keep doing what you're doing um, and focusing on Haitians, Haitian Americans um, and making sure that we have that diversity represented. So I really find that a lot of the work that we want to see is honestly going to come from us. So we true. see that gap. And I think that's the benefit of having Black PhDs, Black PhD dietitians, is that we need that voice so that work gets done. So someone can say, there is something missing here. And that's why we need diversity in the academy, um, you know, in terms of science, but also within the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics.
0: Yep. Piggybacking on what you just ended, speaking about the the Academy, so as a Black PhD dietitian, would you say that there has been any obstacles for you being part of the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics?
2: I think the obstacle is really when you're trying to seek diversity, for instance, during your dietetic internship, um, you might not really have the experience of working with diverse populations. Uh, so I find that to be a challenge, but I think a larger looming challenge for the Academy is how do we make becoming a dietitian feasible and possible Mm -hmm. for folks who come from different economic backgrounds? Mm -hmm. And I've seen this in the past and I've seen this as during our current match process where students are making the decision about becoming a dietitian or not because of the cost. Mm-hmm. Um, and that cost is your living expenses, You know the cost of the program. You certainly need to have transportation for a lot of these programs as well. So it becomes a really expensive um, debt-inducing process. Uh, and true. I always encourage my students to think about, well, what is a profession that you're going to have afterwards? What's that career you're going to enter into that's going to allow you to handle whatever debt that you might accrue. And so I think the challenge for the academy is to really think um, not only about the dietetic internship and the financial barrier, which I think is certainly uh, a barrier to having greater diversity from people from lower income backgrounds, but also diverse racial and ethnic backgrounds, uh, but also thinking about, well, what does diversity look like within the organization itself? And how are we actually um, going to get to the point where we can focus on the dietetic internship and i think that starts with you know having people in power of color of different backgrounds mm-hmm. uh, at the seat of power making decisions within the academy
1: i totally agree with you you know thinking about it you know how we make up what is it kim 3% three percent.
2: yeah
1: 3% of the oh, of the dietetics world as um registered dietitians and Economics is probably a big factor as to why that number is so low because myself, and I don't know about you guys, when I was looking for internship programs, I looked straight for programs that would um, provide me, um, that I could apply loans with. Like none of the programs that was requesting um, for me to pay straight out of my pockets, I did not look apply for those programs. I don't know about you guys, but that's, that's the way it was for me because I couldn't afford to pay up to t- $10,000 for an internship program.
0: Right, right. I know for me personally, I think I've shared this with you, Joanne. I was like, okay, I'm going to stick with the VA and I pray to God that I get in. Let me tell you, I was praying and fasting because, I mean, I personally could not afford the loans nor anything out of pocket. So, yeah, it's very, very hard.
2: Yeah, it was the same for me. I mean, it really was about applying loans to that. And, you know, we're certainly in the generation where student loans are. A decision point for mm-hmm. um, you know what people choose as a career, and I, I know I can see it now as someone who's in the academy at a university um, that we're having issues and seeing trends and people not choosing four year college because it's too expensive and student debt is a major, if not the top concern uh, mm-hmm. for folks deciding on what their next educational step will be, and mm-hmm. so you know, we certainly have to address that in the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, but also in, you know, higher education overall. So
1: how do you think us as minorities in this field can make ourselves known and make a mark?
2: Well, I'll say one great thing, and I think you both are an example of that, is create a platform for yourself. In these days of internet, of social media, you don't need somebody else to get your voice out there. You can just start today. When you feel like you have an idea and see that there's a conversation that isn't happening or a perspective that is lost in the nutrition field, that is your gift. Go ahead and put it out there. Um, Because more often than not, somebody is looking for that conversation and waiting for your voice to be out there. Uh, So I think that's one important way to make a mark. The other is You know, get in leadership. Uh, Don't be afraid of leading and the time commitment um, for what that's going to mean. So, lead wherever you are, whether that's in your clinical or community uh, site, lead. Um, Or even in your local dietetic organization, lead there. If you're feeling so, you know, compelled lead at the national level and or work your way towards that. So there are so many different levels within the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics that we can serve and make ourselves known. Uh, and I think that's going to be one way to just continue to get our voices out there, continue to really focus on the topics that are of interest to us, but also will serve uh, the individuals and the diverse uh, group of clients that the nation will continue to have. So those are just a couple of things that come to mind when I think about how can we uh, make ourselves known?
0: Yeah, I really love that. Definitely, you know, be the change, be novel, Mm -hmm. create the platform. And I think, Mm -hmm. you know, that's what Joanne and I were seeking to do with this platform, just to have a voice Mm -hmm. in the dietetics community that other individuals, uh, new dietitians or dietetic interns or undergraduates could definitely look to. Mm-hmm. Um, So with that, Lonica, people want to know how can they connect with you?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, I really love uh, Twitter and Instagram is also becoming a, a favorite of mine. My handles are the same on both platforms. You can find me at Dr. Lonica, That's D-R-L-O-N-E-K-E on Twitter or Instagram. Um, and I'm also on LinkedIn and all that kind of stuff. So uh, you can connect with me either of those ways and you know I'm always open to conversation talking nutrition talking all things weight loss and and healthy behaviors and you know open for conversation
0: Great. So guys, make sure you connect with Dr. Lanika for sure. So again, thank you so much for teaching us a little more about the importance of nutrition and exercise as it relates to women of color, specifically black women. I feel Mm -hmm. that this is a topic that we do not address enough. And also there are various barriers out there and we need to be that change that we want others to see. We're not necessarily going to change their, their thoughts about us, but we can change the community. So thank mm-hmm. you once again, Dr. Lonica and do have a good day guys. Also remember to comment on this podcast, give us a review and also share it with your friends so they can know more about the importance of diet and exercise. Thanks for listening. Bye guys. Bye guys. Bye.